And so we read in the Old Testament lesson for today, Pharaoh took power, who did not know Joseph. A strange beginning for a strange time, when all that once was is now suddenly no longer. And I think for many of us, it seems like that time is now. And so, for the next seven weeks, I'm going to address you on how this world is changing, how we, the people of St. Paul's, are to adapt to this new world, and how we can do so instead of grasping, trying to maintain everything that always was and yet now is no longer. So let's begin with that part. What always was is not what will be. Nostalgia has always been a little bit of a curse. It keeps us poised and prepared for impact simply because we spend most of our time looking in the rearview mirror of life. We cannot avoid and swerve, avoid hitting the bus that's right in front of us. Colin Powell once said in a press conference that life is composed three different kinds of people. They are those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who wonder what happened. <laughs> Having our eyes fixed on where we were will never help us get to where we will be. And today, as our gospel text reminds us, the confession is everything. Jesus wants to know where we stand. Either we will see him as Peter did, as the Christ, the Son of the living God, and thus be motivated for his kingdom, or else we will fade away into being the custodians of a museum of quaint liturgical acts of a bygone era. Follow, know Jesus, and to have living faith to recognize that he is calling us today, right now, and to a calling that had no place in yesterday, and it will not work tomorrow either. I think folks slip into the curse of nostalgia because things seem to be moving at an increasingly exponentially fast rate of change. And people, particularly as they age, begin to see all change as loss. For the young, change is a challenge and a place to grow. But as body is slow and seasons of life come and go, change becomes hard. So how are we, as people of God, to be poised for the next place that God is calling us? I think it's time to park some old ideas of what once was, because it keeps us perpetually in a state of alarmism. In fact, I think to look at the world and be alarmed is opposite of what is the solution. We need to embrace our mission field with confidence. My mentor, Kevin Martin, always counseled me, be aware of the generation. They just do things differently. Right now, there are, more than any other time in history, six living generations. The greatest generation, 
of which there are precious few anymore, those who fought World War II, the silent generation, those who grew up in the late 40s and 50s, the baby boomers, roughly those who grew up in the 60s and early 70s, Generation X, who grew up in the late 70s and 80s, that's me, the millennials, who grew up in the 90s and early 2000s, and then Gen Z, those who were born roughly after 9-11. I'm finding this next generation of people, this Gen Z, rather complex. These are some of the most anxiety-ridden folks I know. They have seen death, they came of age during a pandemic, they have seen their parents struggle in ways previous generations did not, or at least of recent memory. They are used to a heightened sense of anxiety coming from everything. Schools, where there are shootings. The economy, which has had two major recessions in their lifetime. And so, the one way where the church can do the work of helping them is to remove the alarmism that is so common and give them a place of confidence. Confidence in the one Peter proclaimed as the Christ, the Son of God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Last week, last Saturday, I sat with Becca on the beach at Balboa. On one side of this point was the famed Pirate's Cove, and if you've seen the Jesus Revolution movie, that was where they did the baptisms. And I assure you, it was a really great thing to be able to see all and hear all of the applause coming across the, the sound from people who are going there still for baptism. And on the other side of that point was some absolutely mesmerizing surf. And one lady sitting on her towel in front of where we were said, any surfer will tell you, you are not the boss, the water is. <laughs> that really sounds like ministry. Jesus, the one through whom all things were made, sends us out to surf on the waves of a common culture. Now the surfer is not alarmed by the wave. He or she paddles out, waits, and pulls up his or her body to stay above the wave and ride in it for quite In recent history, the church began to address society as a threat. Sure, there was an era where church and state were largely intertangled. But with the early 60s, the church chose less to surf with as to proclaim its wrongness. Many young people think the church is seeking to time travel back to some time when secularism was not a thing. To hold a Bible in one hand and hug a flag in the other and zip off to where the battle was clear, right versus wrong, a time of black and white thinking. And well, folks, that doesn't work. What is important to realize is that for a long time, the church in America worshipped veneers, not authenticity. There has never been a more, more or less evil in the world. It has been wicked from the fall. Consider the narrative we hear from popular Christianity. 
You see this in the bookstores of life. The world is getting so much worse. We are helpless against the world's destruction. So Jesus has to come and then burn the whole mess up. Is that not tragic? But if you read popular stuff like the Left Behind series, that's going to be what it is you think is going to happen. It's sad that so much of what goes for Christianity in today's world cannot see that returning to some ideal time would really be to expose how horrible it was in its own right. And I, for one, do not ever want to live in a segregated world or one that's fearful of polio or the threat of nuclear war. Consider the days of the moral majority and the Christian coalition. Their strategy was to proclaim that we were in something evil because the old days of Christian privilege had failed. Their strategy also failed. In fact, I would say it failed because it was never Christian in the first place. Sometimes the idea of God sending revival is mixed with this return to a mythical age but without the parts we don't like. We hear statements like, look, if we can just get through X, we can return to Y. Really, nostalgia and the act of seeking of what once was but can no longer be is like long, bitter grief. As I said, the newest generation is dealing with anxiety. And so I think the older ones on the flip side of life are dealing with depression. Even Solomon addresses this, saying, Why were the old days better than these? It is not wise to ask these questions. The fact is, secularism is very much here to stay. And our challenge in this day and age is to speak grace and truth to a culture that desperately needs it and a generation with some very heightened anxiety. And so, we can choose to do one of three things. Number one, sound the alarm that all is going wrong, the culture is going to take all, and that all that the church has worked for and will break it apart, we will fight and vote and blame with the Option two, we will spend our lives looking and admiring the church of yesteryear while combating any change to it. We will sing the same songs and say the same prayers and stick our head in the sand, and we will die that way. Or three, we can become servers. We can move to a place of confidence, out of the alarm, in a place of confidence where you and I rise to the top of the wave, or we may sink down in the wave at times, but we become poised on the surfboard ready for a ride. Surf's up. In fact, if you take the broader view of what is happening, you can see that this could be an exciting time to be the church. We can broadcast and affect things on the other world through film or podcast. The local church is no longer local. While the pandemic ended, the church is now a media broadcasting site. Every little local church. We can fight for justice in God's world. We can do so not in spite of the world around us, but by working with those, even those with whom we may disagree, to come to a common goal. 
We can see that the call of God is presented by Jesus and his disciples as a call that always goes forward and never back. The call of God to Moses was to go forward, even though the people reminded it consistently that the road was hard and the graves in Egypt looked more appealing than the road to freedom did. The road to freedom. It's long. It's dusty. There's a lot of detractors. But the only thing that happens when we go back is we die. When we go back and recapture some other time, either by action or resistance, we die. But we, my friends, are an Easter people. We are called the life everlasting. We are called to raise that which once was dead and raise it to new life. What seems like death is always at the cusp of new life for the Christian. That is the eternal good news. And for the next six weeks hereafter, we will address the death, and we as a community together will move on. So just for this week, I want you to think on this. How can I move personally from being alarmed at a changing world to being confident in where God wants me to work? There is good work to be done, but we must bring in that idea that although the frontier is new, we have a new calling to live into. And so, stay tuned next week when we look at moving alongside this new secularism and subverting it instead of condemning it. Amen. Amen.